right, let's turn our Bibles to Luke chapter 19. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we thank you. We praise you for this opportunity to get here together in this place to fellowship, to worship, to read your word. Father, I pray that you speak to us through your word. Lord, help us to understand your heart, to draw us closer to you. Lord, we give you this night, and we just praise you for all that you've done. In your name we pray. Amen. Luke chapter 19. This is going to be the story or account, I guess, of Zacchaeus. If you spent any time in Sunday school, you know who Zacchaeus is, right? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. and I won't make you sing. Okay, you guys all know, though. Okay. Um, I don't know if a Scottish person wrote that or not because he's a wee little man, but uh, I was, that's always what I think of whenever I hear that song. I don't know. Um, but poor guy, he's known most for being short, okay? Uh, I mean, there could be worse things, I guess. But uh, as we look at the story tonight, we're going to look at this account of Zacchaeus, and everyone knows him as being the short guy, but we're going to see that there's actually a much bigger thing that Jesus is trying to tell us here in this story. And there's a much bigger thing that actually Zacchaeus is more really, when you think about it, well known for. And, and actually, I want to start in verse 10. We're going to do verse 1 through 10. But I'm going to start in verse 10, and then we're going to jump back to verse 1. I know it's a little unorthodox. Bear with me. I have my reasons, I think. So verse 10 says this. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. This is really the main point or theme or objective of what Jesus is doing here when he meets Zacchaeus. Uh, this passage is a great picture of this man Zacchaeus and his faith, but it's more about Jesus's purpose, to seek and to save that which was lost. Now go back to verse 1, and we're going to start back up in verse 1. And in verse 1 says, then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Jesus says, or it says that Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. He's on his final journey from Galilee down to Jerusalem, and he's headed toward the cross. This is just before he's going to enter uh, Jerusalem on the triumphal entry, the week before uh, he goes to the cross. This is his final trip down there, and he's told his disciples all the things that are going to happen, right? He's explained to them that he must die for them, and they can't quite grasp that yet. They haven't really figured out what that means yet. Uh, Peter, of course, argued with Jesus, which is never a good idea, but they're trying to figure this out. But Jesus is trying to explain to them his real true purpose. And there's, there's quite a crowd following Jesus at this point. Uh, most of the crowd uh, thinks that he's going to Jerusalem to kick out the evil Romans and to usher in the kingdom of God on earth. Uh, some of the other followers are just there to see the miracles. It's for the spectacle, right? Um, maybe they're there, they want to be healed, or maybe they're there just there for the free bread, right? I don't blame them, you know? Food is a good motivator. I'm a high school pastor, and if we bring pizzas on campus, everyone comes. So I get it. They're, maybe they're just there for the bread or the spectacle. Uh, and he just healed a blind man on the road to Jericho. We looked at that uh, in the last passage. So I'm sure the crowd has gotten even bigger because of this recent miracle as well. So as he gets closer to Jerusalem and closer to the cross, his focus becomes more and more on who he is 
and his true purpose. He really wants to make sure they know what the purpose of everything that's going to happen in the following week and what the purpose of that is. And to know what Jesus' heart is and his purpose. Um, this interaction we're going to see isn't only for Zacchaeus' sake, although he is the primary benefactor of what we're going to see. It's also to demonstrate his purpose to the crowd, to the people, as well as to the disciples, for them to reflect back on this event after the resurrection and to have a new understanding of what it was that Jesus did when he came to seek the lost. And of course, it gives you and me also a beautiful picture of his purpose and our faith and how they work together. So there's a lot going on here. Let's take a closer look. So let's start back up in verse two. We read verse one. Verse two says, um, now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector and he was rich. And he sought to see Jesus, but could not because of the crowd, for he was short in stature. Oh, poor Zacchaeus. So we learn a couple things about this man named Zacchaeus. We actually don't have a ton of details about him. Uh, this, these 10 verses are the only place in the Bible, it's the only, only in the Gospel of Luke, that we hear about Zacchaeus. Um, and, but we are given enough information to put together a decent picture of him and what he was about. It's enough to see what his struggle may have been and to see what he's longing for and what he's searching for. So here's a couple things we know about Zacchaeus. One, we know he lived in Jericho, okay? Uh, this is a thriving Jewish town on the eastern side of Jerusalem, just above the Dead Sea on the way up the hill if you go into the, from the east side into Jerusalem. Today, it's part of the West Bank, but back then, it was... A Jewish city, it was actually a Levite city, and it was a very thriving, um, a very important city on the way into Jerusalem. The second thing we learned about him is that he was the chief tax collector, which means that he bid for this right to take the taxes for the area. It also means that since he was the chief tax collector, that he hired, probably most likely hired other people to do the collecting for him, to do the dirty work. He was, he's the big boss. He owns the tax office, and he has employees that go out and collect the taxes for him. It's the only time we see this mentioned about the chief tax collector. So he was pretty high up in his career as the chief tax collector. It also meant he wasn't very popular. I mean, is the tax guy ever popular? I don't, I don't think that's ever been a thing in, in history, uh, right? But he, wasn't, he was especially not popular with his own Jewish peers. Um, not only was he collecting taxes from them, which makes you unpopular, uh, it was also common practice for tax collectors to take a little extra, right? And line their own pockets a little bit. And so they were, of course, looked at as thieves. Everyone knew. It wasn't, it wasn't a secret. They knew that the tax collectors took more than Rome required. And so his peers would also look at him as a thief. And on top of that, you have the political issue. You have the fact that he would be labeled a traitor, right? He's working for those evil, oppressive Roman government. He's a government official. So he's a tax collector and a government official. He's not a popular guy is what I'm trying to say, guys. Uh, he was very, very unpopular. And the third thing we know about him is he was rich, obviously, from taking extra taxes, uh, which is no doubt probably the reason he became a tax collector. I mean, you don't want to be hated for nothing. It's, 
this cost of doing business, right? It's like, well, everyone hates me, but I'm pretty rich. So that's the trade-off that he chose. And uh, it's probably another reason, even one more reason why people don't like him. People don't like people who have more money than them. And so, of course, that made him even less popular when he was rich. The fourth thing we know about him was that he was short, right? <laughs> uh, maybe it's the reason he became a tax collector. Maybe he wanted to powerful. I don't know, but we do know, and we are told specifically that he is short, and everyone knows that. To this day, because of this verse in the Bible, poor Zacchaeus, forever known as the short guy in the Bible. By the way, if you ever wish that you were taller, let me just tell you it's not that cool. Like, I'm not even that tall. I'm only six feet tall, and sometimes it's really annoying. Like, airplanes, the worst, okay? So it's not always bad to be short, but of course, a lot of times it hinders you like it does for Zacchaeus, and it causes him to ultimately uh, have to struggle a little bit more than some people. Um, but yeah, if, you're, if you feel like you should be taller, I, I wouldn't. Don't, don't wish to be taller. Don't wish to be shorter. Just be who you are. That's good. I know, but it's not worth it. It's really not. Um, so Zacchaeus, though, because of his stature, it caused him, as we're going to see, to ultimately be more creative to see Jesus. So it, actually, it worked out for him. So there's advantages to being short. You gotta be more creative, right? I don't, you know, if you don't have a step stool, you gotta get creative with stuff to get up and, and to get what you need. I'm saying, what I'm trying to say is being short comes with advantages too. Okay, we're gonna move on from that. All right, for, the fifth thing we know about Zacchaeus and the most important part of this story as far as Zacchaeus is concerned is that Zacchaeus was seeking to meet Jesus. That's the most important thing in verse three. I'm sure he felt that there was something missing in his life. The riches that he had accrued were no longer satisfying him. He was probably lonely, cut off from his community and his peers. He probably felt like he had no place in the synagogue, in the religious order, because he was considered a thief and a traitor a known sinner, as they would call him later in verse seven. But he had heard about this man, Jesus. Maybe he heard about some of his miracles. Maybe he heard about some of his teachings and some of the things he has said and done. And Zacchaeus had to see Jesus for himself. Verse three said he sought to see who Jesus was. I love this. This is a guy who's got a heart to really, truly understand who is Jesus. I'm not, I've heard things, I, I've heard rumors, I've heard stories, but I need to find out who he really was. He needed to know. Does Jesus have what I'm searching for? Zacchaeus is thinking. And he doesn't hold back to find out. He goes all out to find out who Jesus is. Of course, famous verse four, what does he do? Um, verse 4 says, and he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. So Zacchaeus does not hold back. He runs and climbs up this sycamore tree. He goes to great lengths to make sure that he has a spot where he can see Jesus. This is amazing. He becomes like a child, you know, who's running through a playground and jumping and climbing up a tree, running and climbing up this tree. Uh, which was a very undignified thing for a wealthy government official to do. If you saw the mayor running and jumping up a tree, 
you might think it's a little weird, right? It's not the thing that he would normally want to be seen doing. But he had a problem. There was a crowd. He was not going to be able to get a glimpse of Jesus. He was not going to be able to see what Jesus was about. And he thought to himself, you know what? It's more important for me to look like a fool and jump and climb up this tree to find out who Jesus was than to hold back because I'm worried about what the crowd might think. That's a great attitude. I, I think that's an attitude. Even as saved believers, we need to continue to have, not worrying about what any other person thinks, as long as our goal is to draw closer to Jesus. Zacchaeus had one thing in his mind. I want to draw closer to Jesus. If he is really who they're saying he is. They're saying he's the Messiah, that he does miracles, that he has life and, and he teaches about things that, that no one else knows. I don't care what people think. I want to draw closer to him. That's a great attitude. Of a man who's considered a sinner, thinks himself probably as a sinner, doesn't think he has a whole lot of worth, probably doesn't think that Jesus will give a second thought about him, but he's like, you know what, though? I gotta see what he's about. And he goes for it. I hope that we do that too. Just go for it when it comes to searching and, and drawing close to Jesus. He didn't let his position or stigma or even his stature stop him. No physical or social limits were gonna hold him back from finding out who Jesus was. He climbed that tree like a little boy. You just get a picture of a kid just climbing up a tree, you know, and, and little Zacchaeus doing that just to see Jesus. And what's amazing about this is he didn't even realize that he's fulfilling Jesus' very words that he spoke back in chapter 18. Actually, the last Wednesday that I taught was chapter 18, verse 15. It says, Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. Jesus just taught about this. Remember when the children were coming to him and the disciples were like, hey, Jesus ain't got time for you kids. Like, let's move on. And Jesus was like, no, do not forbid them to come. For the kingdom of God is made up of these. Assuredly, I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will, will no means enter it. This is exactly the attitude that Zacchaeus is demonstrating as he does not hold back and acts like a little boy just to climb this tree to seek after the kingdom of God. Zacchaeus sought Jesus like a child with no reservations. I wish that would be our mindset, that we would not care who's laughing at us or what's going, what people are saying. We're just seeking to see Jesus. Now, it says that he climbed up a sycamore tree. I love how specific the Bible is. Um, a sycamore is a very large, there's a picture of it right here. It's a large oak-like tree, and it has very large branches that extend, so it's a perfect tree to climb up and get a good view and have a giant branch to sit on. It's interesting, there's actually a sycamore tree, this one, this exact tree that I have a photo of, it, this is in Jericho. And it is possible, we don't know, it's possible that this is actually the tree he climbed. There's a couple things. First, it's been a long-held oral tradition that this is Zacharias, or Zacchaeus's sycamore tree. So as far back as people can remember, people have been saying that. So there's a historical carrying down of that legend, okay? The second thing is it's on the main, what would have been the main road in Jesus' time through the middle of Jericho, right on the main road. And the third thing is they have tested this tree, and it is, in fact, older than 2,000 years. Some of these trees, especially olive trees and sycamore trees, can live for thousands of years. 
So it is likely that this could possibly be the actual tree that Zacchaeus actually climbed to see Jesus, and it's there today in Jericho. Now, it might not be. I mean, there's no way to know for sure, but it's just cool to think that that might be true. We might get to heaven and be like, yeah, that tree was there the whole time. We could have actually gone and seen the same one that he climbed up 2,000 years before. It's just kind of neat. I don't know. We don't know for sure, but it, it very well could be. Um, it's just another great reminder, though, that the Bible is full of real accounts of real events and real people that you cannot dispute. I mean, there's so much of stuff like this. This is just one tree, but when you go to Jerusalem, if you get the chance to ever go to Jerusalem, there are thousands of physical representations of the actual events that happened in the Bible. It's the only book like that. It's just amazing when you think about it that that could be the real tree. One more way to show the Bible is an amazing historical document. Anyways, a little side note there. So Zacchaeus is up in this tree, and he's waiting for Jesus like this excited little child, waiting for Jesus to come, right? Now what happens? Verse five. Verse five says, then when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him. And he said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. Jesus comes, he looks up and sees Zacchaeus in this tree. Now because Zacchaeus had worked hard and not cared what everyone thought and risked the embarrassment of it, he, he was able to get in this tree and Jesus didn't just pass by the crowd with Zacchaeus in the back and he never would have gotten a glimpse of each other. He was, because he risked all this, he was noticed and Jesus looked up and he saw that Zacchaeus was seeking out him. And he noticed Zacchaeus in this tree. Zacchaeus was seeking Jesus and Jesus saw Zacchaeus. Now I'm sure Jesus knew about this encounter he was going to have with his friend Zacchaeus. In fact, he knew the day that tree was planted and the day it grew and what it would become and the fact that it would become the meeting place for him and Zacchaeus. And then he calls Zacchaeus by name. Look at that in verse 5. He said, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay in your home. I, I, I kind of feel like the wage, and this is me reading into it, by the way, not biblical, just, just my, my thought is that the way he said it was like a friend. Hey, Zacchaeus, come down. I want to stay at your house. He didn't ask, like, oh, are you the Zacchaeus that, you know, is the tax collector around here? Like, no, he says it like a friend. Zacchaeus, come down. And in calling his name, you know, I can only imagine what Zacchaeus felt, right? This is a man who he's heard all about that might, might be the Messiah that's producing miracles, that's teaching the truth, and that is it's, it's gaining popularity and going to Jerusalem and been doing this for three years now. Zacchaeus has heard about him. Zacchaeus wants to see him and meet him so badly that he climbs up this tree, and then Jesus says, hey, Zacchaeus. And the minute he heard his name, I'm sure that meant so much to him. It's like Jesus saying, Zacchaeus, I know you. I know your struggle. I know your pain. I know your weakness. I know your searching. The fact that Jesus knew his name communicated all that in an instant. Wow, Jesus knows my name. Here I am seeking to see who this man is that everyone's talking about. 
And he looked up at me and he instantly knew my name. I think at that moment, Zacchaeus was all in. I mean, he's going to meet with Jesus and they're going to talk and he's going to, you know, follow and give his life to the Lord. But I think he had him at the minute, Jesus knows my name. He was a man who was seeking and in that moment, he became found. I remember the day Jesus said my name when I was 13 and I heard the gospel and the first time it clicked. And I felt like Jesus said, Chris, I know you. Come. I got to go to your house. I want to stay with you. Maybe you had a similar experience. The first time you really heard the gospel or really heard the truth, it felt like Jesus was saying your name. And he was. Because he knows us. More intimately than we know ourselves. And then he invites himself over. Come down, I must stay at your house. Now, in general, you don't need to, you shouldn't invite yourself over to people's houses, okay? That's like a, probably more of an American issue than anywhere else. Uh, it's not really a polite thing to do. Don't tell your friends, hey, I'm inviting myself over. Jesus did it with Zacchaeus, so it's biblical. I don't think that'll hold up. Okay, so in general, it's, you know, it's not the politest thing to do, but in this case, this is a huge honor and blessing to Zacchaeus, and Jesus knows that. Jesus knows Zacchaeus is seeking. What he wants to know is who I really am. Well, I'll come to your house, Zacchaeus, and tell you all about who I am. So there was, there was no thought of this being an implied thing. Zacchaeus is like, yes, this is what I've been wanting. This is what I've been hoping for. Nobody, first of all, nobody wants to come to my house. I'm the tax collector, traitor, thief that nobody wants to hang out with. He's probably excited just on that alone. And then secondly, this is exactly what he wanted to spend time to find out who Jesus was. It's exactly what he's been hoping for. Jesus didn't preach to Zacchaeus or teach him a lesson. He wanted to have a real relationship with Zacchaeus, to have a meal and spend time together. Now, I wish we would get insight into what that conversation, what that meal was like, we can only guess. We can only maybe know on the other side of heaven. But Jesus wants to spend time with Zacchaeus. Now, verse 6 is important. It's his reaction. How does Zacchaeus react? We all know, but what does it say? It says, so he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. First, he had to come down the tree. Kind of reminds us to come down from Whatever it is we have, our high places, right? Jesus wants to meet us. We have to be humble. It's an essential part of being with Jesus is to humble ourselves, to come down. Uh, he would have never met Jesus or eaten with him if he had stayed up in the tree. He had to first obey and come down. Jesus says, come on down. He said, okay. He came right down. The second thing is that Zacchaeus had to receive Jesus. Jesus proposed the invite, Right? Jesus said, I want to come to your house, Zacchaeus. But Zacchaeus had to accept that. He had to receive Jesus, and then the relationship started to grow with him once he was back at their house. Jesus will not force himself into anyone's life. Otherwise, he'd become an unwelcome guest. He sends an invitation, and we must receive Jesus as a wanted 
yes to change our lives. And notice also it says that he received him, Jesus personally. Jesus himself, not a creed, not a doctrine, not a theory or a ceremony. He received Jesus himself. And he received him, it says, joyfully. Joyfully, yes, come to my house. Now, Jesus is the one who is also always joyfully receiving sinners, but every sinner that comes and truly meets Jesus leaves joyful that they have a relationship and they are saved through Jesus as well. And in this invitation, this invitation still stands, stands for every seeker today, right? He is standing at the door knocking. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and dine with him and he with me, Revelation 3.20. The invitation has always been, since this time, always been uh, part of what we have to receive and what we invite others to receive. Now, if you're sitting here tonight and you don't know Jesus, you are definitely seeking because you're in the middle of nowhere in Santee. And so if you're here and you don't know him, I don't know if there's anybody in here tonight, but you're definitely seeking Jesus if you're here. Let me tell you, he's invited you. Receive him and let him in. I we can pray with you later tonight if that's you. For the rest of us who have sought him, who do know him, who he has come and live with us, we need to keep seeking him in our daily lives every single day. It's not just a one-time thing. It is unto salvation, but after that, it's a continual fellowship and communion that we have with Jesus. I, I struggle with this one a lot. You know, sometimes you just get in a rut, and you just kind of go about your time, your day, and like, man, I haven't even prayed today. It's like, what am I doing? Like, I need to stop. I need to take time to commune and seek Jesus because he has everything for me. He has all the things I need, and I want to be closer to him. But sometimes, as believers, we can get stuck in a time where we forget that. So it's a reminder to us tonight, if you've already opened that door, and he has come, and he's given you the Holy Spirit, to not stop. Continue to seek him in any part of your life. Give him every single aspect of it. Spend time with him as much as possible. Now, this invitation did not go over well with the crowd. Look at verse seven. But when they, the crowd, saw it, they all complained, saying, he has gone to be with a guest with a man who is a great sinner. Man who is a great sinner. It says that they all complained. Not just stuffy religious leaders or Pharisees, right? This is all the people who are following Jesus saw that Jesus went too far by associating with this guy, Zacchaeus. And they protested it. Now, Zacchaeus wasn't just a sinner. He was a public sinner. Right? Everyone knew his sin. That's the tax collector. He's a thief. He's a traitor. He takes my money. Some of them in this crowd, no doubt, were affected directly by Zacchaeus. Probably some of their money had been taken by Zacchaeus. Now, if I was in that crowd and I knew my money had been stolen by Zacchaeus, I would probably complain too. Why is Jesus meeting with him? Of all the people in this crowd, he picks the guy who stole from me to meet with. I get it. 
it would have been kind of personal. I probably been, would have been, I'll be honest, one of the complainers in the crowd. I don't like to admit that, but it's true. I get where they're coming from. But that is exactly the point, right? That's exactly the point. All who come to him are sinners. It doesn't matter if you've stolen money or if you've lied, you cheated, whatever it is. We're all sinners. There's no difference than anyone in that crowd versus Zacchaeus, the tax collector. Just because his sin was more public doesn't make it any worse ultimately. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? Romans 3.23, all. All these complainers had all fallen short of the glory because they have all sinned. And that's the exact point. Jesus picked Zacchaeus out. I think Jesus used that for his advantage, the fact that he picked a public known sinner to demonstrate his love and his victory over sin. He didn't pick someone who looked really nice and had a great family but was you know, secretly sinning that nobody knew about. He picked a public display of someone who was a sinner to go and commune with. The difference was that this sinner was also seeking him. There was no doubt many people in that crowd, like I said before, that weren't necessarily seeking Jesus. They were hoping for a new kingdom and to kick out Rome. They were hoping for bread. They were hoping for a miracle or something fun to see. There was a lot of people in the crowd who weren't necessarily, they were following Jesus, but they weren't necessarily seeking Jesus. I, I think there is a difference there between just following Jesus, I'm a Christian, and actually seeking and doing the hard work to find out what Jesus is doing and get on board with what he's doing. Um, and God promises, this is the great thing, God promises that those who seek him will find him. Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. God promises that those who seek him will find him. Not just unto salvation, but always. Anytime you seek after God, he's going to be there. He's going to make himself known. Every time we're struggling and we're like, God, help me in this struggle, and we pray and we're seeking him, he will show up. He will be there. There's never going to be a time, even if we don't see it immediately, there's never going to be a time where we're seeking God and he's not there. He's always going to honor those who seek him with all their heart. And Zacchaeus is a great example of these truths. And through Zacchaeus, Jesus displays his nature to seek and save all those who are lost, even the obvious sinners that nobody likes. He wants to save all that are lost. So Zacchaeus and Jesus have a meal together. They go to his house. Like I said, I wish we knew what was said there, what went down there. We don't know. But we do know the result of their time together. What's the result of their time together? Verse 8. says, then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, look, Lord, I have, I give half of my goods to the poor, and I have taken anything, or if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. Zacchaeus says, Lord, I have changed. I am giving everything back. After spending just a little time with Jesus, Zacchaeus realizes that he needed 
to repent and make restoration. That's the effect of meeting Jesus. Repentance, restoration, and then, of course, everything else that comes after that. First, he sought Jesus. Then he sought out repentance. You know, and repentance is like the first step in our faith, but it's also a continual step in our faith and something that God calls us to do often whenever we need. It's it's often a word not preached in modern-day churches. It's often not talked about. It has a bad connotation. When we say repent, we kind of think of the crazy guy in the street corner, repent, you know? Uh, So it's gotten some bad press, I guess. Uh, But the idea of repentance is such a blessing. The fact that we get to repent before the Lord is a huge blessing and honor and, and one of the greatest gifts that we have with the Lord. And here's the best part. He is faithful to forgive. We don't have to worry or wonder if we repent, will God accept it? Yeah. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1.9. He is faithful and just to forgive. God promises to forgive those who repent. What a cool thing. What an amazing gift. There's no condemnation involved in that. It doesn't say uh, he is faithful and just to forgive those who repent after they make up enough time and do enough bad work to work it off or after they feel bad enough about it. It There's no addition. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. When we come to him, when we ask for forgiveness from anything, he is faithful. There's no one more faithful than God. And he's just There's no one more just than God to forgive us of all our sins and all, it says, unrighteousness. Those words are very particular the way way John wrote those in 1 John. He wants us to understand all sin is forgiven by Jesus. Zacchaeus here shows us that. The town would have thought that this guy was the worst of the sinners. But his sins because all sin is forgiven when you come to him in repentance. And then what you gain is forgiveness and freedom and everlasting life. What a deal. Jesus says, come, give me all your junk. I'll give you freedom and everlasting life. It's like, well, and then we sit back sometimes and we wonder about it. Well, I don't know. What are we waiting for? What a gift. Just come to him. And we need to keep, I, I, I try to keep myself on a short list, like a, repenting often. Don't let it go on longer than it needs to go. Come to him whenever and um, whenever you can and how, however often you need to to seek his forgiveness. And then he makes restitution. He cheerfully offers to give back even more than the law required four times. To anyone, it says, who had wronged him or he had wronged. I'm sure that list was pretty long. I'm sure that wasn't a short list. It wasn't easy. I think Zacchaeus was probably busy for a while taking care of this business to make restitution, but he does that. And that's an important part of repentance and forgiveness. If there is something, if there's a brother or sister we've hurt and we ask for God for for forgiveness, he is just and faithful to give us that forgiveness, but he also requires us to make it right, if we can. You can't always do that, right? You can't always make a bad situation, right? But if you can, as much as you're able 
to make restitution with whatever situation, with whatever sin you've been forgiven of. On that day, Zacchaeus' eyes were open to this amazing truth, that Jesus is worth more than all the riches of the world because of his forgiveness of sin. Zacchaeus realized that that repentance and forgiveness is worth more than anything he could buy. It's worth more than all the riches of the world. Solomon writes about that, one of the richest guys to ever live. And he says, it's, it's all vanity compared to God. God is the most valuable. Jesus is now, he sees, the most valuable thing that he could ever have. And so he freely says, I will give up whatever I have to, and I will make restitution for that precious gift of Jesus and everlasting life. Now, Jesus, in verse 9, declares and says, Jesus said to him, today, salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham. He says, today, salvation has come to this house. Zacchaeus was seeking what he was missing in life, was seeking fellowship with his creator and everlasting life and what, what his purpose was. And today, on this day, Zacchaeus found it and is saved. He's rescued from his bondage, from his guilt, from the penalty of his sin. The crowd called him a sinner, but Jesus calls him forgiven. Now, what a contrast here we have between Zacchaeus and the rich young ruler that was just back in the last chapter, in chapter 18, verse 18 to 23. Remember the rich young ruler, right? Jesus told him to give away everything he could, but he couldn't. And it says that he went away sorrowful, holding on to his riches, basically. Zacchaeus here gladly gives his riches away, joyful, and holding on to the promise of Jesus and everlasting life. What a contrast between the two. The decision seems easy when you look at it. Why would we hold on to anything in this life over Jesus? Sometimes we don't even realize we're doing it. And Zacchaeus is a reminder of that. that he freely, gladly gave, repented, and made restitution and gave everything back. And he goes away full of joy, knowing that he has Jesus. And Jesus adds, he's also a son of Abraham. Now, being hated by his people and being considered a traitor, it's probably likely that he was, was called, oh, hey, you're not a real Jew. You're not one of us. You work for the Romans. You know? He probably didn't feel like he fit in with his Jewish brothers and sisters. And Jesus wanted everyone to know that Zacchaeus really was now a son of Abraham, not just genetically and biologically, but also by his faith. What is Abraham called? The father of faith right? And he's calling Zacchaeus the son of Abraham because he joyfully received Jesus and put his faith in Jesus, just as Abraham did as well. Jesus is proclaiming that Zacchaeus is now a child of God. There's no greater title than that. No greater thing that we can call ourselves than a child of God. First John again says, behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. 
That's how great God's love is, that he calls us his children. And so now we're back to verse 10 where we started, and let's read it one more time. It says, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. This is the reason Jesus came. Zacchaeus is a great illustration of this, and there's many others. But Jesus is communicating that the reason he came is to save that which was lost, to provide a way home for notorious sinners like Zacchaeus, who would never have a way home. He couldn't even go into the synagogue. He was hopeless. He knew all the money he had wasn't going to save him. He didn't have any hope of salvation and being connected home with his father or being called a child of God until Jesus showed up to provide that way home, to provide a way for people like you and me to have a way home, to be called his sons and daughters. We get to have that title for those of us who have sought Jesus and invited and, he, and accepted his invitation to fellowship and to put our faith in him. Yeah, Zacchaeus was lost. He was lost to his family. He was lost to the religion. He was lost to his community. He was lost to his riches. But Jesus never lost him. Jesus came to seek after him. And he comes to seek after all of us. Jesus is the seeking savior. He's the hound of heaven. He will always find a sinner who is looking for a new beginning. Pray for those that you know that are seeking. Pray for yourself if you are seeking. Accept that invitation. Zacchaeus began, you know, he began this day. I just, you think about it. Zacchaeus began this day as a lost, hopeless, confused sinner, lonely, ostracized from his community, not knowing what he would do, knowing that his money didn't help, completely lost. But he ended the day in joyful fellowship with the Son of God himself. And that changed him. That changed him forever. He became a new creation, and everything flipped. Now he had all the hope and joy and everlasting life that he never had before. Zacchaeus was, yeah, he was a, a wee little man seeking God. And God is a big God who knew exactly where Zacchaeus was. Amen? Lord, thank you for this word. Thank you that you know exactly where we are. You are always seeking the best for us. Lord, I pray that we would also seek you, that we would accept the invitations you give us to dine with you, to commune with you, to be with you. Lord, I know life can get busy. Things can get in the way. I know we don't always spend the time to seek after you, Lord, but I pray that this would remind us to do just that, to seek you in all things in our life. We thank you for never giving up on us and for offering us forgiveness for every sin without anything attached, freely giving it to us when we ask and we come to you. So we pray that you just continue to 
Guide us that we would come to you for everything, Lord. Help us to remember this story and to seek you often. In your name we pray. Amen.